I really think it comes down to like nothing in life is really black or white. We all live in the gray. And I think the idea of like wish fulfillment and making, and she makes a deal, you know, she makes a wish, but it's also a deal with a slightly nefarious, although very, very sexy um, demigod. <laughs> um, and, you know, there's always strings. There's nothing in life ever works out just the way you think it will. Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us. And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to a new episode of the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. As we near the end of the calendar year, we thought we'd explore some of our favorite things, love, magic, and Ireland. What better guest to have join us than Paige Crutcher, author of the forthcoming The Lost Witch. We're so excited to talk about her work and so much more. I am Ron Block. And I am Patty Callahan Henry. Paige Crutcher is the author of The Orphan Witch and now just out The Lost Witch. She is a former journalist and her work appears in multiple anthologies and online publications. She is an artist and a yogi, and when she's not writing, this is my favorite thing, she prefers to spend her time trekking through the forest with her children, hunting for portals to new worlds. But you Ugh. give us new worlds in your books, Paige, so welcome. Aww, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yay. Paige, I love this description of The Lost Witch, mm -hmm. a spellbinding tale of contemporary fantasy, romance, and Irish mythology. I mean, hello, Patty Callahan Henry. <laughs> like, did you write this for me? But Always. What I want you to tell us right now before we take a deeper dive is mm -hmm. a bit about what is The Lost Witch about, meaning the plot, what's, what's going on, but then our favorite, what is it? really about yeah um well the lost witch the plot is about a lost witch her name is bridget heron and she is a very powerful witch who lives on the island of evermore which is sort of a forgotten quiet island on the outside of ireland and on the outside of the ring of Kerry in particular and um she makes a deal for the things she wants the very most in the world and the deal goes wrong. And she wakes up a hundred years in the future in the town that she loved and um, and that she was from. And everything's changed and she's lost her memories. And there's some witches living in her home. And there is a group, a coven of really dastardly witches who also are living on the island. And there is a lock that is erupting with monsters, um, Irish mythological fairy tale kind of monsters that are terrorizing the town 
And um, Bridget has to regain her memories to find the thing that she has lost and made the deal for, um, help the town, and along the way, discover who she is beyond being lost in time. She's kind of lost herself. And so it's about coming home in many ways. You know, my granddaughter's name is Bridget. So yes, I know it's my favorite name. She's (laughs) such a, she's such an Irish warrior and healer and Mm. um, saint and goddess. So it's, it's just such a powerful name. So I, I love that it's, it's your main character. Well, and those are all parts of the story. I mean, I I pulled a lot from the mythology of the goddess Bridget and St. Bridget, and I wanted to really honor that mythology as well as doing the thing that I think, you know, writers love to do, finding a way to weave it into something different that applies, you know, in a modern way within this story. So true. I'm a little jealous of people who have, after hearing that, are going to read this for the first time. That's so cool. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So we believe that if a woman is bestowed power from a goddess Mm -hmm. to become a healer, that healer would have her heart's desire. But you turn that idea on its head. Can you talk about the origin of this idea and of Bridget's sacrifices? Um, I really think it comes down to like, nothing in life is really black or white. We all live in the gray. And I think the idea of like wish fulfillment and making, and she makes a deal, you know, she makes a wish, but it's also a deal with a slightly nefarious, although very, very sexy, um, demigod. (laughs) Um, and you know, there's always strings. There's nothing and life ever works out just the way you think it will. Um, and so she goes in with a lot of hope, but she goes in with blinders. And that's sort of the repercussion of maybe getting exactly what you think you want. And there's a lot of things that she couldn't know um, about the deal she made, which is kind of a theme I feel like in Irish mythology too, when you get into like the fairies and certain folklore and, and trying to, you know, barter or make a bargain and and then it all kind of goes for lack of a better term tits up so what was the original like idea that popped into your head to go down this road oh gosh i i'm I'm, i don't know if you even remember patty because i know we talked about it i i love ireland um i'm scotch irish i've been to ireland i went there after a, a series of losses um and i fell in love with the people and with all of the different um, towns that we went to, we went to many, and it was very healing. And so the idea around that always sort of permeated for me. And then it just kind of grew from there. And I did research on Bridget, the goddess and the saint, because they're kind of two, they're, this, they're similar, but they're different. And um, on the goddess Bridget and how she tends an eternal flame, Um, which also makes me think about the eternal desires that we all have. And there's 19 women who help her tend her flame. Um, And that's a very powerful sisterhood. And what I write about always has that element of sisterhood and a found family and of the many forms of love. Um, And so that was really important to me as well. And then in doing my research, which I went down many rabbit holes because I enjoy that thoroughly. 
um, I just found more and more mythology and things and tales that inspired me and um, started to shape the idea and started to give it life. And then other characters started to kind of grow from that. And soon I had, you know, this coven in my brain of these chatty people and I just <laughs> needed to get their story out. I love it. I always love to know that origin seed because sometimes we can't find it, but I, I know that that trip planted the first seed because mm -hmm. we've talked a lot about Ireland and it's people. And I'm glancing across the room right now at my full bookshelf of Celtic mythology and Celtic yeah. books and Irish, <laughs> you know, um, and, and thinking someday a seed of one of those is, is going yes. to, to sprout, but mm -hmm. I'm going to kind of beg you to talk a little bit more about sure. your research instead of just skimming over it, because, you know, like I said, I love anything Irish and anything Bridget, but yes. we have romance, mythology, yeah. a coven, 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 yes. otherworldly creatures, a yes. demigod. It, the research must have been intense like those aren't yes. things we come into the world understanding so tell no. us about your research did you read visit you know talk to us about that i did i well the first thing i did was i reached out to um, a dear friend that i made in ireland and his uncle uh pat sent me a magazine it from one of his older magazines it was a like he took a picture of it and was able to scan it and it talks about the hag witches in Ireland. This was, you know, around like the 1900s. And um, it talked about Biddy Early and it talked about the fairies and her blue bottle. And um, and that was the thing where I was, you know, kind of struck with the idea that, and I felt like I came to this understanding the more I did research that in Ireland, you know, the things we think of as like just mythology or as a fairy tale, it's not just that it's it's very real and very true and it's their history um and as you dig into all of the cycles there is there's so much like it's mind-blowing um i listen to a lot of podcasts my favorite one i, <laughs> I want to open it but i can't even read it it's um a couple who uh partners not couple couple who um and i can't remember if they're out of trinity they're out of one of the the universities and they go over like every myth that you can find and they discuss them in detail and they interview people. Um, they interview people who are like in their eighties and nineties to talk about these different myths and what they meant um, and what their grandparents remember and everything from like Beltane and, and why you use the dew to put on your face to, to bring eternal youth to, to, you know, not having your cows stolen if you, if you crossed, you know, <laughs> wrong way. Um, Whether you turn, tur you know, stir your tea clockwise or counterclockwise. Yes, exactly. Like all There's these, so many, we yeah. call them superstitions, but they're beautiful. And they're, I mean, and there's something magical to them. I think, I, I think I firmly believe in that. It's, it's spiritual. It's otherworldly. I don't know beyond the fact that it feels right to me that I, that idea and that they've been following this, you know, their whole history. So there is truth in it. And so I wanted to really try and understand as much as I could. And there's so much that I felt like, um, just like sort of a seed, like I kept, like I kept filling. And then I was like trying to retain what I could and put it in compartments and then I'd lose pieces and I'd have to go back and reread what I had outlined. Um, and I have 
have an, a ridiculous amount of books. And so I just would dive in and, and read things and then talk to other friends I have who are smarter than I am, um, who also love, you know, the same kind of cultures and mythologies. And they would give me their research and they would talk about things they found. And it just was kind of like a quilt that slowly came together, you know, piece by piece by piece over time. But I, I read blogs, I listened to podcasts, I read books, and um, I tried to talk to different, you know, people who also had knowledge and, and love of it. I, I think that was also really important when you when you're trying to honor something, and you know, it's fiction. So it's obviously not going to be based in reality per se, but you want those essences and you want those those bits of, of magic and truth to be there. And that was that was important to me kind of as a thank you for the healing that I got um, from the month that I spent there. Oh, wow. Wow. To look at a book as an honoring and a gratitude is a totally different way yeah, to look at a yeah. story. I'm wondering, because I have because I have to do research too, I find myself, especially in a subject like this, falling, like you said, down mm -hmm. rabbit holes that I oh, yeah. can't get out of. <laughs> what did you? <laughs> and sometimes those lead to other stories and that's fine. Yeah. And I think we notice what we notice. We are yes. pinged by what we're pinged by. Yes. But do you have a, a kind of set of standards or rules for yourself to pull yourself back to the story? Like, did you have, have some cornerstones or tent posts where you yes. said, I can't keep going on the demigods. I have yes. to come back. Yes. I can only read so yeah. much about Lug. Yes. Um, yes. It, it was, it, for me, it was as simple as I would read something and I would find it so fascinating. I would say, okay, I need to take this little piece of whatever the thing is. And now I'm going to go write something. I don't know if it'll make it into a book, but I'm going to use it as a theme. And that would draw it into the story and it would draw it real in my brain with the character. So it was kind of like a transference in a sense. Okay. And that would keep it, that would keep like the wheels turning as opposed to me just being locked up. And sometimes I would do the thing where I would read something and I would love it so much. And I would try and find a documentary on it to take it from being something that I'm reading and uh, kind of seeing as a movie in my head and then seeing it on like an actual, you know, screen with, you know, other people talking about it and showing the imagery of Ireland, Ireland and the different you know places and things that would help trigger me back into it. Got it. I was wondering how you, because this this could be a months long reading expedition without right. years long without ever putting a word on right. paper. So. Right. Yeah. And I I know different people. Like I know our dear friend Ari. Like I feel like Ari can dive in and she can just like she will stay in her research until she has her well full, and then she just can mm. go right. I mean, I think her ah. process probably changes more than that. But I know that at one point we talked about that, and I was like, that's beautiful. I don't think I work that way though. I think it's also honoring as a creative and as a writer, how you are playing with that, finding out what works for you and then not judging it, just being like, this is how I write a book. And this is, or this is how I write this book. The next book, yes. who knows? <laughs> yes. <But> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's funny. Now, one of the things that is striking me listening to the two of you is that um, the readers don't necessarily know everything that came into it, but the talent of the right. writer is to make it look 
like they've just known it all along that all of that didn't come. You're not, so you're not just telling facts. You're weaving it into this incredible right. story and you both you're are so showing good at that. It and tell it. Well, hopefully that's the hope. Although it's a funny that's thing. The you, that's yeah, the goal. It's the goal. goal. Well, like, you never know fully if you're successful, but you give it your best. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned a little bit ago about love and mm-hmm. um, you tap into a powerful bond between a mother and a daughter Right. And the desire to both protect and keep our children as our own. And I know you're a mom. How much yes. of your life did you tap into for this? Um, I tapped into a lot. This book, to kind of preface this and like ground myself, um, my mom passed away three months ago. Um, and when I'm I was sorry. writing it, thank you. Um, she was diagnosed with cancer in January. Um, and I was writing the book. And like starting to draft the book. And um, and then I wrote, um, maybe I had gotten like the first draft through and I had to revise it. And as I did my relationship with my mom, which was kind of fraught um, when I was growing up, we were just different people and she had some challenges. And um, and I'm sure I had some challenges. We all do. Um, it, it was never uh, the relationship I wanted it to be. And so part of writing the story when I started was trying to write some of that in um, with keeping my daughter in mind. But then as my mom got sick, our relationship changed and um, it became a thing where I would text with her um, and and she couldn't speak anymore. So I would text with her every day and send her pictures of my children. And and so I wrote the book, it shifted to where I was kind of writing the book more for her. I wrote things into it um, that only she and I would know. Um, and she got to read oh. it printed out and bound before she passed and she loved oh it. Gosh. And, um, and she would like, my, uh, cousin said that she would like, um, try and tell people about it and, and, you know, show it to them, but she wouldn't let them read it because it wasn't out yet, which was very <laughs> like sweet and protective. Yeah. And, but she, she said it was her favorite thing. Um, and like, there's one section in it. It's a spell. I think that, the that the creepy coven does, but it's a takeoff of little orphan. Annie has come to our house to stay. If you are familiar with the poem. Um, and I twisted it because that was a book. My mom had the book that was like the first edition, first print. And when I was very small, we used to read that poem, which is a little creepy, which tells you a little bit about child page. I like it's yes. a little creepy. <laughs> I'm um, imagining little page thinking, I took that and I twisted it and she loved that so much. Um, and she felt very, she said she felt very honored and, and that to me elevated this book for whatever, I, you know, I, I really hope it brings joy to readers and, and love and gives them um, a reminder that they are magical and, you know, we are all worth everything. But for my mom, this was, you know, a way to say thank you and a way to say goodbye. So, sorry. So honoring. No, so it's, beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. And oh, it, it, it adds a whole nother layer to the book. Right. Yeah. It does. Oh. Yeah, I wasn't sure if I was going to talk about that because I haven't. I'm um, sorry. Yeah, no, no, I am. Thank you for letting me honor her by speaking about her. Paige, that adds, as Ron said, such another layer. But not only that, when you're reading it, you feel, look, I'm getting choked up. You can feel this kind of Mm -hmm. heartbeat between the mother-daughter relationship. Like there's this, and I was really curious where that came from and, and, and that 
that infuses the story with so much yes. more meaning. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's like a heart line. I don't know if that's the right yes. word. That's the, not a real well, thing, but works. it is, it's like a, you know, and then I do have, um, as Patty knows, a very wild, adorable, um, three-year-old who's so fierce and so brilliant and so funny. And I love her. Um, just like I love my, my son. Um, you know, they are the, my son and moon and all my stars. Um, uh, so it, it, I wanted also, you know, to play off of that, like and to tap into that love because there's nothing I wouldn't do for my babies. So, yep. you know, yep. yeah, that comes through too. That comes through Good. Too. That makes me very happy. Okay. So the goddess bestows yes. this healing power on mm-hmm. Bridget, right? I'm curious as we're talking about personal things and your children and your mother, yeah. if the goddess were to grant you one power, oh. what would you want it to be? Oh, Patty, that's a big question. <laughs> I know. I was like, I was like, while we're talking about personal things, let me go. I mean, let me take it another layer. Yes. Well, I mean, I think healing obviously like ticks the box because of what has happened, but I kind of think beyond that. Um, I wish there were a way that we could t- transfer the love that we have for other people. Um, like just that in some sort of way to transfer love and empowerment to each other for all the relationships that we've lost or that fall apart. Um, just because with my mom, you know, things weren't always very good. And I wish that I had known, you know, all those years, even though she couldn't perhaps love me um, the way I might have wanted or even at times needed, that she did love me. I wish there's a way that we can just make sure people know that they are loved and they, you know, they are powerful and they are worth all beautiful things. Oh, Paige. <sighs> I'd be like, I want to be invisible. World peace. <laughs> I, I would also like to be able to fly. So <laughs> yes, I'd like you know, fly. that would work too. Oh, that was beautiful. Yes, to oh. know to we're such fumbling humans and yes. I mean I am a God, mess we mess all the it time. up so much. And if people could see the intention behind every fumble, maybe we'd mm-hmm. all be in a lot better place yeah oh it would change things for sure if people could just look at the intent and the inside yeah 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 because yeah we are i mean i'm i always say i'm such a mess but i try really hard that's the thing we talk about with our kids too like it's okay to make a mistake it's okay to not be perfect because that doesn't exist but just try and do your best and try and be kind to yourself in the process which is so easy to say and so hard to do so hard to do Wow. Okay. So there, I'm going back to the book a little bit. Yeah. So there's spells used from a book called the book of the goddess. Mm -hmm. Is there a book like this that you consulted and ancient texts that you might've read about, or is this totally from your imagination? Those spells are, um, they're fully from my imagination and it's, it's a way for me to tap into like my youthful dream of being a poet writing really bad angsty poetry but <laughs> that being said i have um i'm looking at them i have i don't know how many spell books um 
so and I and I read through them and um they definitely gave me a framework for what I wanted to do. So a little bit of both. Gotcha. Spell books exist. Like there are yes. spell books in the oh, world. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And you can find um like different some of the most like there's so many beautiful podcasts um by actually you know by witches and they'll talk about the resources they use and um and i think one of the things i took away and again this is all to my understanding and i and i firmly believe like i i read so many different things that there's so many different ways to do it it's kind of like packing a bag right like you can pack a bag anyway um as long as you get the backpack um but the spell is it's around like your intention and the ritual and then if you're le- letting yourself be led and there are great books that are guides, you know, that you can help you understand, you know, kind of why things work the way and that they work and what things might help you. Just like there's so many I have right now, I have an insane amount of books on flowers and like, you know, mystical, magical properties of, of different herbs. Of botanicals um, and flowers. Yes. And, yes. yes. And, the and alchemy so of, of botanicals absolutely, is fascinating. Yeah. And there's so much, I mean, there's so much beautiful, beautiful knowledge um, so it's kind of like you want to understand it well enough that you can get your arms around it. And then as a writer, kind of break all the rules. Because it's like, that's what we do. Now, how do I disrupt yes. it and make it fiction? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fiction, right, right. I like, I always like yeah. the word disrupt, right? Yes. How do I, how do I take what, what already exists and, and disrupt it just enough mm-hmm. that, that a story might grow out of it? I love wow. that. Yeah. And uh, just a quick aside, you wouldn't believe sure. the number of young women who visit libraries and are looking for that kind of material. And they, oh, really? and it exists and it's out there. Yeah. They just, they want to get their hands on it and they want to absorb oh. it and take it and yes. talk to their friends about it. Yes. There's oh, so much. Amazing. When it's the thing about it too, is it's all, to me, it's all based on empowerment. It's mm-hmm. all about how to empower yourself. And um, there's, you know, there were originally a lot of books written by men. Um, and I kind of steered away from those, not to say that they don't have good knowledge or education then, but I find that there's so many amazing books written by women who are, you know, who are deep into their practice of witchcraft and who also have done the research and have, you know, these just insane founts of knowledge of, of the history of it and um and how to bring it into your life in small ways or in large ways or if you want to you know find a coven they have different people have different beliefs on that if you should work by yourself for a year Mm -hmm. um and then let it kind of organically come or if you should seek it out um so again there's so many ways to kind of follow that path it's amazing speaking of paths yeah rambly twisty paths your yes. journey to publication is a, <laughs> for a while. nice transition there, right? Is nice. <laughs> a lesson in perseverance and strength. Oh. When I met you, oh my gosh, how long has it been? Years and years. And oh, you were working for PW. At least a decade. Mm-hmm. At least, yeah. No, it's been more than that. Because I still yeah. live yeah. in Atlanta when I met you, I think. Yes. Oh, that's right. And, yeah. And that was at least 11 years ago. So, yeah. But at that time, you worked for Publishers Weekly, mm-hmm. and you were yeah. a journalist. Yes, tell I us. Loved it. I know you did. I remember talking <laughs> to you about how much you loved it, and yeah. and then you're a novelist. But yeah. I know it wasn't that easy. So, no. tell us a little bit about your journey to publication. We have so many writers and readers who listen, yeah. who love to understand 
I think they often believe that we came out writing. Right? Oh gosh. And, yeah. and, and there's, I mean, it's a second career for me. It's a second career right. for everybody on friends and fiction. Yeah. It is a second career. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm, I want to hear a bit about your journey. Yeah. Um, let's see. Well, I was, I'm 41 and I was 27 when I wrote my first novel. Um, it's in a trunk hidden far, far away. <laughs> it was not very good. Um, I had, and I had, I had gone to college and I had, um, majored in English and minored in writing and I fell in love. I mean, I've always been a reader, so I've always loved stories. Um, I was voracious speed reading as a kid, loved Anne Rice. She was to me, the goddess of, you know, of witchy novels and vampires and all the tasty things. Um, and then in college, I took some workshops on short stories and I loved that. And, um, and then I read craft books and just kept reading and decided I wanted to try my hand at it. It wasn't very good, um, but I stuck with it and I joined writing groups and I got critique partners. And then I wrote a novel that landed an agent, um, but the book really wasn't ready and it wasn't an editorial agent. Um, they were good at what they did, but they just, they weren't editorial. And so the book kind of just petered out. Um, and it was very different. It was a female version of Catcher in the Rye. So to tell you the juxtaposition from oh. what I, I was going to say, that's quite the pendulum swing. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Um, and so then I just started, I decided to try and find a way to do what I loved, which was write about books and talk to authors. So I um, just kind of jumped in. I started emailing authors and asking them if I could interview them and then reaching out to publications online and um, submitting them and getting picked up that way. I was very fortunate that different publicists and people in the industry um, liked what I wrote. So they would kind of refer me, which is how I got referred to Jim Milliot at um, Publishers Weekly. And I had been doing this at this point, I think for like three or four years, interviewing authors and then um, writing about their books. And I didn't really do book reviews, um, but I would just do a Q and A about the book so they could kind of you know speak to it themselves. Um, and it, for me, felt like I just got to talk to rock stars all the time. Um, mm -hmm. And then the whole time though, I kept writing novels. I shifted into young adult and I tried to, um, try my hand at that because I really loved like um, as a kid shows like Dawson's Creek and my so-called life <laughs> and the teen angst of that. And, um, and so I really thought like, I, I would love to do that. Um, but it never quite connected. I got a lot of what in the industry they call like very nice passes where it was like, your writing is beautiful, but you know, the plotting wasn't there. The stakes weren't high or there was no high concept to the story. Um, um, my friend JT, our friend, which told me she was, she was like, your, your writing is so great, but I feel like you write, um, it's kind of like you're writing Seinfeld, like nothing's really happening here. <laughs> and so I had, hadn't cracked kind of the craft of how to do it. And so working for PW and, and getting to, to see more sides of the industry and talk to more authors about how they craft, um, that really gave me the perspective of kind of how to shift how I was writing. And I think also just, which this sounds hard, especially if you're a writer on your first novel, but for me, I think writing more and more books, I got better and better and better. Um, that's a, that can be a big sandwich to try and eat because we all know how much of your heart, how much time 
and how much is your sanity? You invest in writing a novel um, and when it, nothing happens to it, it can be very easy to be like, I, I want to, you know, I don't know if I can keep going. I, I really want this to be published. I don't know what to do. Um, so I stayed in the vein of just keep writing, keep writing. Um, I actually did a column with Publishers Weekly. Um, we did an expose on self-publishing kind of when it hit really big, which was like, I think around 2014. I mean, it had hit earlier, but there was like an influx of more and more indie authors doing this great work. Um, and so we were like, how is that process? Like, is that easy to do? Is that a really great option for writers? Like, what does that look like? And so I wrote um, a YA novel and hired, you know, editors and publicists. I did the whole deal cover art um, and also had like a, I think it was a monthly column around what the process looked like. And then when I was done with that, I realized I could never be an indie author because I could not wear all those hats that these amazing mm -hmm. people wear to be an entrepreneur. Um, I am definitely the introverted writer who wants to like sit in a cave and write stories and that's about it. <laughs> um, I'm not good at the other things and I know my strengths and I know my, my challenges. Um, and then I decided um, to focus. I was like, I really want to give this one last big hurrah for writing novels. And so I stepped away from PW, um, which was sad because again, like I loved all the people there and I still do. But I sat down and I wrote two more novels that got really close and then and ultimately got um, passed on. And then a dear friend of mine, because I was kind of like, maybe I should just give up. I was pregnant with my daughter and she was like, well, if you could write anything, um, anything at all and just write it for me, like, what would you write? And I was like, well, I have this idea for a witch novel, but I don't know that I can do it because again, a huge Anne Rice fan, right? It's like, I could never do what she does. Um, that like, so why waste my time? And she was like, well, just write it for me. And so I did, and she loved it. And it just kept me writing and writing and writing. And then that book was The Orphan Witch and it got an agent in a couple of weeks and then it sold in a couple of weeks. So it was, I don't know, 12 years of trying to get here and, you know, now I'm here. Do you know how many times we've heard that when I finally decided I would write it for myself, we interviewed yeah. Louise yes. Penny this week also. Yeah. And she said the same thing. She said, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it for five years. I couldn't, I was blocked. I could finally, I said, I'm going to make up a town and a man that's mm. for me. Yeah. And what do we have now? Right. <laughs> Twin Pines and Gamache. I mean. so, right. So I, I, it's I think so true. It, it's such a profound, found and simple piece of writing advice mm -hmm. that simultaneously can shift the way we the way we work yeah yeah and i think it's a confidence thing i think i i just didn't believe in myself that i could do it and i had you know maybe it's just the universe like i had to get to a certain point in time to where it would line up to where i would say okay i believe i can do this i'm gonna just go for it and and then I did. And I fell in love with writing the book and it, you know, the way it came together and the things that the way that story led from like one section to the next was it felt very otherworldly because I wasn't forcing a lot of it. I mean, there was a lot of work involved, but there were times where it just all clicked in a way it never had before. Love it. That's yeah. fascinating. And, and Patty's right. We, we have heard this from so many writers and it, it's, that's half of the journey is just getting to that point. 
definitely. I wonder how many of those books that are in the drawer or a trunk, if there's right. if there's a big book graveyard for all these books. To look <laughs> I think there somebody wrote a book about that. I think somebody wrote. I think I noticed that it was something like the book graveyard where all unfinished stories are mad and waiting to be finished. I know there's That's amazing. I have a lot of them not in a trunk, but metaphorically in a trunk. Yes, yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. The metaphorical trunk. Yeah. Sixty pages <laughs> in, you're like, yeah, no. And they're just unfinished. So put that aside. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. That's a process. So, I love Paige, that you are called a story wrangler. Can you talk mm -hmm. about the power of stories for you in your own life? Um, yeah. I know that you live in a quite magical place, and I yeah. can't pronounce it correctly, I'm sure. Serenby? <laughs> Serenby. 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 See, northern. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> How I does do. this all play out for you? Well, I live in a place that is is like living in a storybook, um, and that was part of the reason to move here. Life here moves much slower. Um, I, I jokingly refer to it as like, um, if Mr. Rogers neighborhood and like stars hollow came together with maybe oh. a little bit of Pleasantville <laughs> or the Truman show, if you <laughs> would have Serenby, um, it is, it's a place where people, um, are just very generous of spirit and very kind. Um, and, and it's very, um, inspiring in that there's a lot of nature. There is a lot of, um, like stables and animals and things to slow down and to allow, kind of your your thoughts to grow there's no rush it's everything's moving not quite at the <laughs> the growth of like a blade of grass but it feels like that sometimes um and and so that's a very inspiring place to write i, I constantly feel charged here um then story in and of itself i feel like um i mean it's how i escaped when things were bad when i was growing up it it really it feels so melodramatic but story saved my life like a thousand yep. times over. And it's how I found it. myself. It's mm -hmm. how I decided who I wanted to be. It's, you know, I didn't have um, the typical family model that I would see in TV shows or even in books. And so it's how I learned what I wanted in the future. It's how I learned what I wanted from friends and the kind of friends I wanted to be. So I feel like story, it takes me everywhere, you know, in the world and other planets and it takes, you know, I fall in love over and over again, and it just fills my cup. Hmm. That oh power of story. It's why we're even yes. here, right? It's huge. Yes. Nothing like it. Nothing like it. I, I feel yeah. sad for people who don't. I know. Who don't know or who say I don't I read fiction. And I'm like, there are, there's not just a world you're missing out on. Right. There's a million worlds you're missing out yes. on. Yes. And finding well, yourself Paige. too. That's great. Yeah. What'd you say, Ron? Yeah. Sorry. I said and find finding oneself too in, in books. It just really mm -hmm. like like Paige was so much better than me saying it's just well, how yeah. how it does help you find where you where you want to be and who you want to mm -hmm. be and, and the people you want in your life. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Me oh too. Paige, what a magical conversation. Yes. We could yeah. talk this is wonderful. for a long time. Thank you for coming on and talking to us about the lost witch and about magic and about stories and about witches. 
and big demigods in Ireland. I, you know, you know, you and I could talk about that forever, forever. But but before we say goodbye, can you tell everybody who's listening how to connect with you either on social media or where to find the lost witch? Yes. Um, You can connect with me on Instagram. I'm at Paige Crutcher writes and um, the book, it comes out December 27th. Although um, Macmillan released it early to my local indie, which is called Hills and Hamlets. And the good, magical, incredible people there have copies that are signed if you um, want to reach out to them. Otherwise, it should be where you get most books. That's awesome. That's wonderful. Yeah. And I'm going to add my thanks page as well. Oh. People who hadn't already read the book are going to want to go and get it. They're going to oh. get their hands on it very quickly. And even those who have read it, once they've heard our conversation, they're going to go back and read it again. Because oh, even talking to you, I have learned so much. And the book has just such a deeper meaning for me. And oh. I appreciate that from you so much. Well, thank you all for allowing me to be vulnerable and share. It means Please. the world. Yeah. And, and to talk about The Lost Witch, which I love. <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah. So wait. And thank you to our fantastic listeners. We would not be able to record these podcasts without you. Your support means everything. On behalf of the Fab Four, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode. And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live Friends and Fiction show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.